Life podcast. We truly hope you'll be inspired and challenged today. Now, let's dive into this message with the family at Pleasant Ridge. So this morning here, we're going to continue our uh, series that we've started on um, strengthening what remains uh, here for the month of January. And uh, the theme where this has all come out of is out of Revelation chapter number three, that our Lord gives uh, some strong words to a church, the church at Sardis, about some things that are going on in that church. And uh, so For this month, I wanted to give a few things that I think are very helpful for us to remember, to strengthen in our Christian walk with our Lord, um, because these things are vital uh, in our Christian life. And and this is not a cumulative list here. Um, I'm sure that there are many other things that can be added to it, but these are just some of the things that I I felt impressed on to uh, share with you. And so last week we looked about um, our confession, confessing our sins daily, as what First uh, John one nine teaches us about, you know, confessing our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And how important confession is for the life of the believer. And uh, this week we're going to look a little bit more about another thing. But let's look at this text again, out of Revelation three. Uh, 1 through 3, and to the angel of the church in Sardis write, the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. And this uh, church here had this reputation of being alive, but yet it was really dead. Uh, They probably had a lot of external things that they did. I mean, if you were to look at this church, it would probably be like, man, that's a great church to be a part of. But yet Jesus knows the actual real condition of the church because he knows their hearts. And he says, you have an appearance of being alive, but really, you're dead. And uh, it's important for us to to remember some of these things because we need to be examining ourselves in light of of what Scripture says and through the power of the Holy Spirit, allowing God's Word and and the Holy Spirit to deal with us uh, exactly what our heart condition is. Uh, because he will, like a, uh, like a skilled surgeon with a precise instrument, he's able to deal with us and show us exactly uh, what we need in our life. And uh, so don't become apathetic like uh, this church. You know, we need to strengthen what remains and is about to die. And so this morning I want to talk a little bit about another area that I think is important. And uh, that is the fact of worship. Uh, what God desires in our worship. What is worship? Uh, the problem is, I think, uh, many times we find ourselves not engaged in true worship. You know, we're just kind of going through the motions. We're here. Um, David even dealt with that, even in uh, Psalm 40. You know, he says, I waited uh, on the Lord. You know, he lifted me up out of the miry clay. David knew the the heart condition of what he was in, 
And instead of, you know, just trying to play the game, kind of, you know, be apathetic, um, he actually dealt with his heart problem. And uh, the Lord did lift him up out of that miry clay and set his feet on a rock uh, through all of that. Um, and I think sometimes we, we may not be engaged in that worship, or sometimes I think we may find ourselves not postured correctly towards God in our worship. And you'll see some of these things we go throughout uh, this morning. And so this is what I'd like for you to take away with you today. Strengthen your desire to worship by knowing what worship is and why you need it. Strengthen your desire to worship by knowing what worship is and why you need it. So let's look here, first of all, what is worship? What is worship? If you look up the word worship in the dictionary, okay, you're going to uh, find this definition, basically. Worship is the feeling or expression of reverence and adoration for a deity. Now, I think if we were to ask anybody in here prior to us knowing what this definition was, we might have somewhat of a similar definition uh, to that where we would think, okay, well, we worship God. We, uh, we are ascribing uh, a reverence to God or we have a, uh, an expression of reverence towards God or a deity. Um, another way to look at this is the history of this word, worship, and we find that it's directly correlated to the word worthiness. In fact, uh, worship is worth-ship. We ascribe worth to something that is worthy of our worship. It's worthy. Uh, we give it worth. We give it value. Uh, believe it or not, there's a lot of things that we worship in our lives besides God. And how do we know that? Because we ascribe value to those things. We, we say that these are worthy of, of our worship because they have value. Um, I have in my office there a, an old book. It's a ministerial uh, handbook for weddings. And uh, it was probably printed late 1800s, uh, maybe early 1900s. But it gives you all the different styles of weddings, and it gives you, you know, uh, this is what you're supposed to say, and this is what the groom is supposed to say, and this is what the bride is supposed to say, and this is the vows that they're supposed to make. And in fact, one of the vows that is in there is uh, the fact of, with my body, I thee worship. Now, don't raise your hands in here, but I'm just curious if maybe... Some of you ever had that vow or said that vow? I can't even remember the vows that I said on my wedding day, I tell you the truth. It was just like, right? I mean, I, all I had to do was just show up, right? Um, but that's one of the vows that was in this book about, with my body, I'm going to worship you. The idea behind that is that the husband values the bride, and so we must value when we worship. There must be worth ascribed to the one that we are worshiping. In our modern culture today, uh, we use this word worship abundantly, um, even within our Christian culture. Um, 
For example, if, if I were to say the word worship within this context, what would be the very first thought that would come to your mind? What would you, what would you put in, included with worship? Okay? Some people may think, well, that's raising hands. Some people may say it's singing songs. Some people may say it's praying. Okay? And yes, all those things are true about worship. Uh, we have in our culture today, we have worship services, we have worship songs, we have a worship pastor or leader, we have a worship team or band. But do any of those things really mean what real worship is? They're just ways that we express worship, but is that real worship? Okay. Now, please don't misunderstand me on this. I'm not saying that we shouldn't have a worship service or worship songs, etc., 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 but we really need to think about this because here is this church at Sardis. Jesus tells them and says, you have the appearance of being alive but really you're dead. What was their worship like? I don't know. But I'm sure if you were to look at their worship, it was probably amazing. Because he says you have the appearance of being alive. But he says really you are dead. So I want to suggest to you today that worship may include songs, prayer, all those things. But worship is not synonymous with those. So worship is not the same as merely singing or shouting or raising your hands or praying or doing other forms of what we might call adoration to God. Those things might indicate that worship is happening, but they are not essentially the essence of what worship really is. Put it another way, you can do all of those things, lifting hands, singing songs, praying, attending a worship service, you can do all of those things without worshiping. In fact, you can worship without doing any of those things. So let's get a well-rounded biblical idea of the real meaning of what worship is. When you look up the word worship in God's word, the most common word for worship in the Old Testament that we find, uh, it's used 71 times in the Old Testament, and it literally means to bow down with reverence and respect. So the idea is that the body is being used to be prostrated before God. In the New Testament, the same idea of worship, how it's, how it's used in the New Testament, we find the word that is used there, we find it 26 times is used in the gospel accounts, 21 times alone in the book of Revelation, but then we only find the word worship used only one time in the epistles. That's Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, all those things. These are the letters to the churches. We only find the word worship used one time. There are the gospel accounts. Um, we see it mainly of people coming and bowing before Jesus and worshiping him. In the book of Revelation, those 21 times, 
Uh, it's basically uh, the fact of you have like the four and twenty elders. They're they're ascribing worship to Jesus. They're bowing before Him. But this one time in the epistles. Now this is very interesting. Why only one time? Like you would think, like all the letters to the churches that this would be something that God really wants us to know what our worship should be, right? He'd be like, okay, this is, this is what worship is. But yet it's only used one time in the epistles. That's strange. I don't know if you think that's strange, but when you consider the, the, the content of the epistles and that there's only used one time, it's very interesting. That one time is used in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, and verse number 25. And the context of what he's talking about is talking to about those who are prophesying about God. And we find that the word worship is being associated with prophecy that whenever people were prophesying within the church, the secrets of people's hearts would be revealed. And so falling down on their face, they would worship God. And report that God is truly among you. Why do you think that God would only use the word worship one time like that in the New Testament? I think I have a good reason for that. Um, we see in the Gospels, Jesus is dwelling with man. He's, he's there in bodily form and he's, he's, he's speaking to people and they're coming before him. Um, Revelation, there's all these heavenly visions. Jesus is in heaven. The, the, the seraphim are there. The, 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 the four and twenty elders are there. They're worshiping. Um, but here we have only one time in the epistles that it's dealing with that actual word worship. And he's there. So let's dig into this a little bit more. Turn with me over to John chapter 4, uh, verse number 20. You can see kind of how all this kind of stuff kind of fits together here. John chapter 4, verse number 20. This is a very familiar passage uh, about the woman that is at the well. And uh, she's had five husbands in the past. And in fact, the, the man that she's living with right now is not her husband. She's cohabiting with this guy. And uh, whatever the reason may be, we don't really know the whole process of what has happened here. But Jesus knows the whole situation and all of this. And in the midst of all of her needs, Jesus then throws in a theological discussion in all of this. And he starts to begin to tell her about living water. Give me a drink. Right? Give me this living water. I'm going to tell you about this living water that, that you will never thirst again. And in all of this, this woman has something interesting uh, to say in John chapter 4 and in verse number 20. She says this, Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. He goes on to say, Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit. God is spirit. 
And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Now understand here, the main Hebrew word here to do with worship is to do with what you do physically, prostrating yourself before God. It's there in the Gospels here. When people come before Jesus, they're bowing down before him. It's there in Revelation where the heavenly realm, people are bowing before Jesus in bodily form. But it's only used that one time in the epistles, uh, as we saw there in uh, 1 Corinthians 14, about hearing the word of prophecy. But what Jesus is saying here is this. To this woman, he's saying, there is coming a time, and now is, when it's not about what mountain you worship at. It's not about the physical place. It's not about the form. It's not about the ritual. It's all got to do with what? The heart. That's what Jesus is trying to get across to us. Worship will not be localized, but rather it's internalized. Rather than being an external thing, worship is going to be in the depths of the heart. Jesus says here in John 4 that true worship happens in what? In spirit and in truth. It's not in this mountain. It's not over here. It's not in the form. He says true worship, the true essence of worship happens in the heart. So it's without a place, without this mountain, that mountain, with this temple, that shrine, without the outward forms, but rather worship is carried along by the Holy Spirit, interacting with our human hearts according to the truth of who God is, how God reveals himself, what he's saying about himself, and how our heart is responding to the truthfulness of God's word. I want to see what Jesus is doing here in John 4. He's breaking down decisively from all outward forms as a definition of what worship is. Worship has got nothing to do with the place. We may call this a church, but we talk about the people, right? Like, this is a building. The church is the people. People have worship centers, okay? And they come there to worship. But you can still have worship without that worship center, right? So it's not about those things. The New Testament, the New Covenant believer is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Do you believe that? Do you believe the moment that you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that the Holy Spirit came to indwell in you? And now you are the temple of the living God. Sometimes people use words as this and they say, well, this is the sanctuary. God does not live in this building. He lives within us. We are the sanctuary. We are the temple. So what does that mean? That means that we can have worship with God and should have worship with God. Not just on one day a week. Our worship should be continually because he continually dwells in us. Constantly. I just wonder, sometimes, have we maybe gone back 
to those old forms of worship where we're thinking, it's in this mountain, it's in what we do, what we say, how we look, how we do things, rather than just being about the heart. Perhaps we've made it more about outward performance than inward reality. We made worship more about traditions and procedures rather than what is going deep down inside of our hearts. We need to get back to the authenticity of true worship. Here's Jesus talking to this church. You have the appearance of being alive, but yet really you're dead. Our hearts meeting with God, being satisfied in him. You know, if I'm honest with myself, I play the hypocrite so many times. Jesus said in Matthew 15, 7, 9, Hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy about you, saying, These people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. So to define worship, the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. It's all about the heart. So what is true worship? What is? Let's look at a familiar text here. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. That, I believe, is worship in a nutshell, right there. It's the best definition of worship that I could ever find in all of Scripture. Right at the end of the verse here where he says, your reasonable service, New King James renders it that way as well, to give your body to the Lord is your reasonable service. That's a different way. The NIV translates it. This is your true and proper worship. The New Living Translation says, Let them, that is your bodies, be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he, God, will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. The New American Standard Bible puts it this way, This is the spiritual service of worship. Paul says to these Christians in Rome, I'm beseeching you, I'm begging you, I'm imploring you, listen. Do you want to engage in true, authentic worship with God? He says, here is the requirement. What is it? That you present your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. So in other words, it has to do with our will, doesn't it? You present your body as a living sacrifice. It's a decision. It's a will. A will of the heart to engage in worship with God. That's why we should be so careful of not just going through the motions of worship that if our hearts are spiritually dry and they're not engaged in worship, we should really be honest with the Lord and we should pray and ask God, God, revive my heart. God, I want to know you. I want to know you. I want to to, to give myself to you. That should be our desire, not just kind of going through it having the appearance of being alive, but yet really dead. 
And so all of this, this response, this leads us to the second point about worship. Here it is. Why and how I need to worship. Look at these verses again. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. Did you see that? By the mercies of God. Did you know that our worship is in direct connection with who God is? His mercies. In fact, when you read this, I beseech you, therefore, that word therefore, you need to find out what it's there for. Why is it there for? Everything that Paul just talked about in chapters 1 through 11. What are they? The mercies of God. If you haven't read through the book of Romans yet, I encourage you to do so. Just read through it and see all of the mercies of God, what God has done in our lives. The book of Romans is basically about how God saved us, the salvation that what he did and how all of that works within our lives. And he talks about some very interesting things about our salvation. He talks about our justification, that we are justified before the Lord. We're, we're forgiven. He talks about our adoption. He talks about some fantastic things, these mercies of God that we have in him. And the result of that should be us giving ourselves, sacrificing our bodies for worship. Now take a look at that word sacrifice. I would think that all of us would be familiar with what a sacrifice is, right? I mean, even, even in the most pagan cultures, they do sacrifices. And they take a sacrifice and it's, and it's given for something, for some purpose. And you know what's interesting about sacrifice? The pagan world, what they're doing is they're giving a sacrifice so that they may obtain mercy. We as believers in Christ are not giving a sacrifice so that we may obtain mercy we sacrifice ourselves because we have been given mercy. There's a total difference between the two. Sometimes people have this idea of good works, right? I'm going to do this for God. I'm going to do this for God. So that way God would do this for me and do this for me. I'm sorry, that's not the way it works. We give ourselves to God in worship because of what he has already done for us. So he says, I beseech you, therefore, because of the mercies of God, that you present your body as a living sacrifice, which is your true and proper worship, which is your reasonable service. Now, what is he talking about? These mercies of God that we respond to. All those things that he, he says, look at what God has done in your life and respond with your heart appropriately, in reverence, bowing down in worship to his greatness and being in awe of who he really is. Paul is saying that because of all these mercies, because of all these blessings, I implore you, sacrifice yourself, lay down your life, give your bodies. This is true and proper worship. And because of this, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Do you know what the reasonable service in the Old Testament was? In fact, if you read through the book of Leviticus, you read about all these, these sacrifices. And the reasonable service, according to the word of God, was to bring a sacrifice to God. 
And he gives all of the requirements for what a reasonable sacrifice really was. And many times you would bring this sacrifice, what you could afford. God didn't have, you had to only just give this. It was based upon what a person could afford. And they would give it to God. Now, there were many different types of sacrifices, but one of the sacrifices that was given was a burnt offering. And in the burnt offering, we see the fact that this offering, he tells us that this offering was given, and it was given wholly to God, completely. It was totally consumed before God. And that's the idea It's not bringing a sacrifice, it's being a sacrifice, is what Paul says here. Being a sacrifice. The Bible tells us that we're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and as priests you're asked to bring a sacrifice. But guess what? The sacrifice is you. God wants you. God wants your heart. He doesn't just want... All of the things that we do, he wants our hearts. If you read through the Old Testament, God actually has some very strong words for the nation of Israel in all their sacrifices that they would do. And he tells them, basically, he's like, look, you know, I'm tired of it. In Isaiah chapter 1, he says, I'm tired of this. He says, I'm tired of listening to all your songs. I'm tired of all your sacrifices. I'm tired of all your incense. He says, it's worthless to me. You see, they thought just by doing all of these things that they were actually really worshiping God. But their heart was not really behind any of it. It was just kind of doing it. And see, us, God wants us to worship him in spirit and in truth by being the sacrifice, giving ourselves over to God. Warren Wearsby, a profound Bible teacher and pastor, had this to say about worship. Worship is the believer's response of all that they are, mind, emotions, will, body, to what God is and says and does. You see, when we come to the understanding of who God really is, those mercies of God are revealed to us. We can't help but in our will turn to him in selflessness. There's no place for self-centeredness when we are in the presence of the greatness of our God. He wants all of you. The two greatest gifts I believe God can give us are a true sense of ourselves, what we really are, and a true sense of who He is. And if you get a revelation of who God really is, just like how Isaiah did, right? I saw the Lord high, exalted, lifted up. Right? And what was his response? Oh, man. I am so unworthy. I'm so unworthy. And so when we get a sense of who God is, and how do we get that? Through the Word of God. By being in the Word, we get the sense of who God is, His greatness. We come into His presence, and our hearts should respond appropriately. God, you are great. God, I'm going to give myself as a sacrifice over to you. I'm laying myself on the altar. Notice again in our text, notice what it says, a living sacrifice, not a dead sacrifice, a living sacrifice. Did you know, and I love this, I love the picture here that Paul uses. In the Old Testament, 
that sacrifice was already killed. And then it was offered up to God. Okay? Paul says a living sacrifice. You know what the hardest thing about being a living sacrifice is? Wanting to get off the altar. Because you're still alive. I mean, you think about it. Like, let's just, let's just say that like, this, was, this was an altar, right? And here I am, I'm presenting myself as a living sacrifice to God. And I think sometimes what we do is we, we may approach worship with this idea of, okay, God, here I am. I'm giving you some worship. And we may just have one little finger on it. God says, I don't want just the one finger. He says, I want all of you. And sometimes when, we're, when we finally do get to that point, we're going, oh man, this is going to be painful for me. This is going to be hard for me that I would give all of myself over. And we want to squirm and get off that altar because we're a living sacrifice. Is that not true that that's what Jesus tells us to do? Take up your cross daily. We have to die to self daily. Paul even said it himself. He says, I die daily. And so this idea of us giving ourselves as a living sacrifice, giving us, and, and it's a day-to-day -day thing, constantly we have to do that. It's not just a one-time thing. It's us giving ourselves over to Christ. So I want to ask you this morning, where are you? Are you on God's altar or are you off the altar? Where's your heart in true connection with worship with God? Is it way over there? And yet I come and I do all my worship stuff? Or is it really in connection with the Father? Is it desiring Him, desiring what He wants for my life? Is it wanting to be in awe of Him? Is my heart in connection with Him? Or is it just somewhere else? Is it focused on other things? Or is it focused on Christ? You know, Jesus said this real importantly. He talks about us, about our, our, our treasures. And he says, where your treasure is, there will be what? Your heart. Is Jesus your treasure? Or are there other things that have kind of clouded the, 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 whole, the whole mess of everything? He wants our treasure to be him. He wants our hearts to treasure and value and ascribe worship to him. So let's not be that church at Sardis. Let's delight in God. Let's desire him. Let's not just have the appearance of being alive, but really dead. Let's strengthen what remains and really worship our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. If you're interested in more information about our church or knowing the peace that Jesus gives, visit our website at lifeattheridge.church.